Hello and welcome to Author Not Present, your virtual writing workshop. I think that's what I'm going to call it now, a virtual writing workshop. Uh, today we don't have Louise because Louise's book is coming out tomorrow, but when you hear this it'll have been out for two weeks and already be a bestseller and be selling all over the world, I suspect. So instead we have Christina as usual. Yes, hello. Christina Kerr. And we also have Jared McGuinness. Hi there, how you doing? Not too bad. Um, to, who's coming to join us today, especially to uh, do this piece, which is called The Woman in the Street. Last week we had Of Sprites and Spirits. The author has listened, the, the writer of that piece has listened to the episode and he's, or she is very pleased <laughs> with it. Mm, he or they. she. They, they are very pleased, apparently. They are, yeah. they are pleased with it and then they are now in the process of rewriting their piece, which is very exciting. So, Jared, thank you for coming to join us today. No problem. The first question I have to ask you, of course, is what right do you have to edit, to critique this piece? Justify Ab yourself. Justify yourself. <laughs> no. No, no. Absolutely none. It's pure hubris, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I've, maybe I just because I've spent a lot of time with short stories. Um, so wait, talk about your career, because you didn't just spend a lot of time. You won many competitions, right? I tend to be a bridesmaid, never a bride. Okay, so I've but you've shortlisted for other. I think I have won things. I have won things. Um, what I don't remember. Yeah, but um, uh, <laughs> been I've been doing it a lot. I've been writing a lot of, but I've been reading short stories for a very long time. Okay. So um, I did my undergraduate in philosophy at UT at Austin, and even there, like I was going into so. There was this great bookstore called Book People. It had this amazing like uh, section on like literary zines uh, in America, and this is so. This is um, late '90s, and so like I was just always a reader, and I was always and short stories particularly has always been like my my favorite. It is it's the form that speaks to me the most, and I think when I did start writing them, my instincts are all for the short form, um, whether I'm good at it or not remains to be seen but yeah I mean I don't it's, I don't I just feel like it's always a form that's kind of beyond uh it always stretches out beyond my ambition and mm. it's, it's something I love and it's something in terms of and I kind of think about when I was reading about this piece you know short stories are probably more related to their cousin the poem than mm. uh what would be the natural connection to the novel you know just because they're prose um and I think you know, that, that the immensity lies in that tiny word count. Mm. And that's, that's something that I love about the short story form. Um, and it's something I kind of expect from the short story form. Uh, because of what I've seen it, I've seen in the hands of a master is what it's capable of. And do, you, yeah. do you have any favorite short stories that you're... Like, or favorite writers? I love them for different reasons. And as a writer, I mean, I've kind of changed what I'm looking for. And I have to say, like, I've been on a real kind of long form bender because I ended up writing a long form. You know, I wrote this, you know, quasi, I mean, I wrote a story. Um, and then the kind of publishing world decides what category that goes into. So do you want to talk about that? Tip? That's your, that's your forthcoming book, right? Yeah. That, so yeah, I just, as of this coming out, it shouldn't probably it, won't be out yet. No, it won't. So it'll be out with Canongate in, uh, the January 2021 so next next beginning of next year it's going to be out so I'm still in the process of actually finishing it so working with the editor and getting feedback and, and that kind of thing um, and what's it going to be called 
It's called the, uh, make sure I get it right, is the, um, the Shoplifter's Guide to Disability. Right. And that's not going to change between now and then, do you think? I doubt it. Okay. I think we've gone around. I think uh, they weren't quite sure. And then I, I started sending other titles. And I yeah. think they maybe got nervous because it started <laughs> getting like more and more dark. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One, it was once one of the titles was described as rebarbative. Okay. Nice word. So I looked that up. <laughs> I like that word. Rebarbative. Uh, kind of just like off-putting oh, nice. barbs right, and okay. thorns. So, um, so I'm saving that one for book two. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Titles are hard. They are. We've had this discussion in the mm. last episode, just how difficult it is to nail that title. Especially in a short story, because if yeah. you think it's not an insignificant percentage of your story yes. is in the title. So the word count has already begun, if you want to look at it that way. So you, you have collections of short stories, right, that have been published? No, I've, ne- I've, I've never had a collection. I've been in collections. Oh, right. So um, the last short story I wrote and was published, so I did good. I wrote one short story in 2016, and that was published in a collection um, called The Short Affair, mm. uh, which was like a collection of different authors. So it was, you know, next to like A.L. Kennedy and Will Selp and Ben Oak. Nice. Serious Serious people. Serious dudes. Mm. Uh, and in that, so that was, so that year I was hitting 100%, which is pretty good. I just had a baby, so I literally only finished one short story that was worth anything. Um, I write lots of short stories, but whether they're worth a damn, it's a whole nother story. Um, the kind of failure rate is very high because, again, they're really hard. Yeah. Um, and again, I think about this piece. It's not that there's a lot of bad short stories out there. Mm. It's that there's a lot of really good ones. And I think in general, I'm seeing the kind of, I, I read for a lot of prizes now and I see the level of quality is pretty impressive. Like you really have to bring it to get into even the kind of like, just kind of like when they're kind of just getting rid of the no hopers. That kind of first 10%, you know, the top 10%, that's already really good compared to when I, I first started writing short stories when I finished, I went to, I studied at Edinburgh. I did a PhD in artificial intelligence and after I finished that degree, I was like, well, I've been talking a lot about writing now, let's actually do it. And so um, that's when I really started about 10 years ago, like getting serious about figuring out how short stories work. And I have to say, I, those early short stories probably shouldn't have been published. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You're not so pleased with them anymore? I just think like, yeah, like I don't think they would have got published today, even because I think even kind of like really kind of niche publications. Like my first, my very first short story published was in, I forget, it's a particular like subgenre of um, erotic short stories of a younger man and an older man. Right. Oh, okay. I was unaware of it. I just like... I. I wrote a story um, about uh, a young man working as a, as a bank cleaner and um, his relationship with a transsexual older bank cleaner. Um, and, uh, and now I look about it, it was so um, it was a very pedantic story. So, yeah, it was very, very earnest and worthy. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's just I think the level of quality you need to get published this day is, is, is pretty high. Um, I took a very kind of methodical, I'm a scientist by training, so I took a very methodical approach because it's like, how do you know your writing is getting any better? Um, and you don't, and that's always going to be the answer. So, you know, I, you know, I have friends who are kind of multi-award winners, uh, and they're not sure when a particular piece of writing is 
good or bad. You might have a sniff of something, there's something there, but there's that constant anxiety and concern. You're, you're creating ex nihilo. Yeah. You know, you are making something new that doesn't exist, that hadn't existed before. There, there's nothing but anxiety and, and insecurity <laughs> there. Um, if you want surety, like, you know. Maybe writing is not the ticket. Then. Yeah, yeah, look at something involving spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> Numbers give certainty. There are lies as well, but they feel certain. Yeah, because um, yeah, it does seem then that the the issue really is is that it doesn't really matter how well you think you write. It's about your, the audience perception of your writing, and that's the problem, isn't it? Then because you have to put yourself out into the world. You do, and I think you should, and I think you should understand that there are readers, and readers have opinions, and some opinions. So, I, like, I took a very kind of quantitative approach to it. I said, okay. Forget what I think it was called, like duotrope at the time. I can't remember. Basically, saw that they they showed the the journal and its acceptance rates, and I would look at the journal. I'd go sniff around it and be like, "Yeah, this is all right. This seems to be they would like my stuff." Um, but like, so I started out with people that accepted like fifty percent. So I was like, "I'm gonna get in on that," <laughs> and then. Yeah. I would, I would get there and then, okay, now I'm going to do 25%, I'm going to do 10%, and I'm going to do 1%, and I'm doing 0.1%. And that the kind of 0.01%, I was like, okay, I think I'm writing of, of, of a sufficient quality now. Mm. I don't know what that means. I think I, what I was not starting to understand is there, there is a marketplace, and that is a good term for that, especially in the States. Isn't, I think the short form is probably, you know, there, I don't know, it's an American form. It is an American form, but like... The reason I think I'm kind of entranced by the American, not just because of this voice and this accent, is because there's a there is an there is an ecosystem of short short stories. If you're writing something, there's there's not only like there's several journals who are interested in that kind of thing, and that's starting to understand that that not all writing is trying to do the same thing, and all writers want to do the same thing. Do you that's think? Important for do you think writer. that me like is the UK just much more focused on long form? No, I mean there's it's. I think it's just it's just terms of kind of economy of scale is right. that you know there's uh you know what there's 90 million people writing so what like 60 percent of them want to you know want to be writers yeah. you know there's some i saw some statistic that it was something like 60 percent of americans want to write a novel <laughs> and want and writing is a whole nother thing you know yeah. but if you think about that so there's 350 million of them so i think it's totally about the economy of scale Maybe it's a more developed kind of MFA environment. I don't know. I didn't do an MFA, so I, I have no idea. And I have no interest in the debate of no MFA. Or it does MFA. feel like there is this kind of like university-led journal culture in America that doesn't exist elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Because I definitely know in Australia we came up against that and right. like had to start our own, basically. Because yeah, yeah. it just didn't exist. Whereas in America, it's a super established And also the, the Americans did their own as well. So the kind of DIY attitude of just kind of it's not there just do it yourself yeah um, so then yeah that would probably just contribute it as well because some of the journals I was talking about like going to book people mm. and getting these um, these journals it was a percentage you know it was VQR but it was also this one I remember out of Colorado called Black Ice which I just loved like there's stories in there that still stick with me mm. and I have yet to find like what happened to it where was it and it was just kind of <laughs> random yeah you know bunch of people that started Black Ice maybe they were connected to a university but I don't know. So, yeah. That's a shame. I, I feel like there is a there is like a subculture of, of uh, short stories in the UK, but it's never, it doesn't seem to have that sort of, not that people aren't taking it seriously, but they're not taking it. It doesn't have the same cachet, right? It doesn't have the same cachet. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe that's changing. Maybe that's yeah. changing. 
That's it. That's it. And often, sometimes I feel they can be quite conservative, small C, in terms of what they are. There's there there seems to be a stronger appeal to history mm. and the history. The history. So I see a lot of stories that feel very kind of like early twentieth, early you know late nineteenth century style of you know. There's a real that's heart theme to that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's people doing like amazing things right now, and there's always incredible writing everywhere you find it. But it's just about that kind of culture and what that culture, you know, what the culture around is kind of supporting. Mm-hmm. And I do feel sometimes that some of the journals I read in the UK, I'm like, it's it's, it's good, but it just feels like something that could have been, you know, it's very kind of modernist. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is very kind of you know, hand wavy. Just to feel, I haven't done kind of like my my run the numbers. You didn't um, run the numbers in this one. <laughs> which, you know how what percentage of stories is just you know a rehash of Virginia Woolf or whatever. But um, yeah, it, it's just kind of my feel again. Like it, it's that economy of scale. There's just so much out there, mm-hmm. um, and the people that I do kind of enjoy. Yeah, I mean it's a mix. So maybe we can move on. In a tweet, you said that you wanted to tell us a story about your first workshopping <laughs> experience. And one of you, we were sharing ours last week. Yeah. Mostly positive, right? I had a few. Yeah, they're I've mostly had a few positive. Odd workshops. Yeah, likewise. Just but yours to... sounded like another level, basically. <laughs> so, so, what was your first workshop? So, basically, it was like I had finished my degree up in Scotland, got a job down in London, and this was when I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to write short stories. So, it's like, and again, because I didn't do an MFA. I didn't, uh, an MFA, sorry, writing MFA, MFA. Um, I didn't really have that background. I was like, well, I need to, I need to be around somebody talking about writing. I need to learn. Um, and so I saw, I was living in, um, Twickenham at the time in St. Margaret's so in West London. And so, uh, cause I worked out at Egham at Royal Holloway as a, as a researcher. And so I joined up and I think like, I think when you first start writing workshops are very, very good. And I think again, anytime, and I think I said this when we were waiting to come up here, anytime you're you're spending thinking about your craft is useful. And so that's what it was. I was around people working on their craft, you know, and they were at varying degrees of of quality and level. But um, it was a lot. So it's West London. So they're a little bit older. um, And there was one guy there who spent most every session we would go around and read our stories what we had worked on and then we would critique there and it was the back of a, of a bookstore you know everyone had their glasses of red wine and kind of like you know room temperature white wine which is you know the center of, of <laughs> English literature yeah, and, you know, yeah. publishing events stuff like that but um and this one this one of the the attendees basically used his short stories to just kind of like attack the other members of the group oh my god <laughs> so he would like i can't remember if he would name people by name but it's like clearly <laughs> was obvious. he just like the guy with the glasses it was, yeah, it was like, <laughs> you could tell he was really going he would have a go at somebody oh and it would be god. like rehashing arguments they had and different things and stuff like that and then one session uh somebody had just had enough and kind of called him out on it and was like you know this is not helpful this isn't and, and um he just shook anger and oh he like God. raised his like you know half full glass of red wine and was ready to like glass this other pensioner oh my god, <laughs> oh my just, god. Uh, that was a time and it was kind of getting like increasingly t- he was just a real kind of like black crow in the group you know a lot of time we were just spending dealing with his like issues 
and um, seems like he had a lot of them, and he wasn't expecting his like passive aggression, like his passive aggressive <laughs> yeah, tactics. Yeah, and to maybe that's what he wanted, and he was like, finally aggressive. got what he wanted. Is had like some really oh, just aggression, aggression. So like <laughs> that was when I was like, I gotta find a new group. Yep. And I and I yeah, that was the last one I ever did there. Um, and I did. I found an amazing group uh, up in Wilson Green. Um, and it was just an, a, a really incredible group of kind of like-minded spirited. And we had this kind of like little den mother who, um, who was just this, this lady, Anne, who was just kind of amazing, kind of keeping it running and keep everyone behaving and dealing with all the different personalities. And, you know, some really, some really good writers and published writers now kind of come out of that. Um, and, uh, and that I spent, yeah, I spent probably about two or three years going to that group. I can't remember if it was once a week or once a month. But, um, and how did you find these, that group? Maybe don't... That's really interesting. Um, I, I think it must have been online. I would imagine I just kind of Googled around. And I remember there was like an, a, there was a group like closer to me, but they wanted to like read my stuff first and like make oh, sure... Oh, to bet you? Yeah, bet you. Mm. I'm like, ah, I'm out. <laughs> no vetting. <laughs> yeah. And actually I was going to... I did run into a group of... I did run into um, another group in Richmond, and I did that one for a lot of it. And those guys were great. I still like they still live, live in West London, and I still try to meet up with those guys. Uh, and again, um, one 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 of the guys of the group was published, really great writer. I think he's working on the second one. Another one I think could very easily be published if he just like submitted things, but he just you know he just wrote because he liked to write. Um, right. Really incredible writer. I find those people so strange. Just doing it for the thrill of it, and I just like that's. I wish I could be that secure. So it's all gonna be posthumously. They'll, they'll find your work posthumously. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would be my. That's exactly the way I, I want you all to like regret <laughs> not having paid attention. I want you all to. Feel How dare that, you all have ignored yeah, me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Oh for man. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask something, yeah, if on. I can, because I finished my first draft. Well done. About a week ago, yeah. Of a novel that I'm writing. You talked a lot just then about like the short story as a form, but obviously you have a novel imminently coming, yeah, yeah. I mean, in the next year. Um, and I kind of wanted to know more about that process, because obviously this is all about getting something polished enough to go further with it. Yeah. And I know that you're, you've kind of hinted to us in the past that the like editing process has been has gone up and down and left and right and in unexpected ways. And I'm just curious if you had any sort of thoughts, advice, anecdotes about getting something yeah, of that length. It's about, I suppose if I, I think if I look and what it took to kind of get a, something worth publishing, I don't know, it's very hard to phrase that because it's, um, you know, if you're looking for justice, and, mm. you know, I wouldn't look to kind of what gets published, mm. you know, to find there, look other, elsewhere. But what I would say, like where I think I've improved as a writer is my willingness to get rid of bad writing. Mm. And as, as you write, you kind of, you think about you have your lifespan of word count. And as that increases, the kind of individual word has less value. And when you come to, you know, the whole kind of cliche of like, kill your darlings, like, you know, can you murder whole generations of your darlings? <laughs> can you, you know, take a book that you've worked on for four years, behind the shed and shoot it in the head like <laughs> and you bury it there and to me that's that's where when you're become that that is a key development stage in which you're able to do that and go like I don't want anything out there that is bad mm-hmm. and that yeah. takes you know the short story is good because you do get these little easy wins and these quick wins 
and then you realize like oh, I wish I had worked on that a bit harder and I'm I'm pretty brutal with my my writing and like I've read you know that short story I, I had published in 2017 I've read from it and I really realize I'm a much different writer now um, mm. in terms of this very lurid and graphic I mean 2016 was a very lurid and graphic, graphic year. Yeah, yeah it was <laughs> so it came from a certain thing it same came from a certain place but like now I look at that and I would have I would have back and people come back and come and I really enjoy that alertness and I am a lurid writer but like I think um, I would have done it differently now and that's even that's kind of freshly published that was the last short story I wrote until I started working mm. on this um, so again I would just say that le- do not underestimate just how good it has to be yeah. and be a little scared be a little scared to publish things I mean in terms of like practical advice maybe like submit it when you're ready to submit don't submit it to the top of your list. Right. Submit it to just a kind of, you know, just some, this probably every agent in the world would say, do not do this. But <laughs> that, that act of submitting to another human being who is a kind of a professional in this world who sees, you know, imagine how many manuscripts they see. Like, and yeah. they will like read one page because that's all they have time for. Um, I think the, the value there is the fear and the anxiety of like, oh, that wasn't done yet. Mm. And I think that's a really useful, powerful thing uh, to then um, utilize to make it better. And I've tried in kind of writing groups to get people to read out loud, and some people are comfortable with reading out loud, something like that. But I, I know when I was doing the special relationship, this kind of literary evening, the, the act of reading in front of a crowd made me hone, like, oh, let's tighten this. So I would, I would use that as, as my workshopping. I would read in front of you know, a crowd of 50 to 100 people. And as I read, I would like make little squiggles for me to go back and go, this was too long, this is too tight. And it really created a very tight um, short story for me and probably really informed my style as well because what works on the page and the stage is obviously different. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do different things. And like I will have versions that I read out loud and versions that are on the page because these are two very different acts. Yeah. Um, and it definitely informed like, you know, these things I do with like literature events. Um, to understand that so my only really advice I mean I don't know how this works I mean I don't know how publishing works at all like, <laughs> I don't get it um, yeah they there are, luckily there are professionals who absolutely do and when you get one you get an advocate and they you do, mean the agent the agent mm-hmm. the agent is an absolute advocate I always had a hard time I when I was writing for stories I had like personal rejections of some pretty serious journals mm. um, and I just thought they were being nice to me and it took a very long time for my career to realize nobody has to be nice to you. And I've kind of, um, I've kind of said that like your short story submission is a dick pic, <laughs> and nobody asks for more dick pics unless they really want to see more of your stuff. Yeah. And I've like realized that, and I realized that too late. I wasted a lot of opportunities. Those people really were interested in what I was up to. Mm. That book just didn't. That story didn't just work. That's really interesting. I think that's something that other people, once they get that rejection, that's it. If it's yeah, yeah. it can be disheartening, obviously. But it is. It is. It absolutely yeah. is. And go figure out a strategy to kind of like you know I've seen people on Twitter like count like talking about their strategies, and I my strategy is like they happen. Who cares? Like just move on. Yeah. Like, it's like a cold. You know. Oh, I've caught the flu. I've caught the rejection. Just move <laughs> on. Like forget it. Don't 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 give it too much thought. It's uh. Mm. It's very weightless, and if you treat it like that, just that's not what the point of this is. Um, it's much better to your my. That's how I survived that kind of that like psychology. 
Um, and also kind of getting access, you realize, you know, we, we kind of put them on pedestals, but they're humans too. They have predilections and some of them aren't that, you know, they're not, in, they're not interested in what I'm interested in. Yeah. You know, that, you know, what they want from literature is not what I want. So they're rejecting that, you know, that it's just that we're not looking for the same thing. And ultimately you want an, ad, you want an advocate, as you yeah, said. Absolutely. And, and, really that, and once you have that, you have this one person who takes your work very, yeah. very seriously. Yeah. And then you, you know, then luckily, you know, you get lucky and you get a, you get a publisher who also goes, oh, wait a minute. And that means you have this whole group of people who want to see this book succeed. Mm. And that's exciting. That is to me is like, that's what you want as a reader. You want to connect. And then, and you know, when kind of, the kind of earlier conversations with Canagate, they're like, you know, in the office, you know, it's a, whether a book is chosen or not is now kind of a group activity. So you're like, there was a room of people like discussing my book, you know, and that's exciting. You know, I was like, I wish I could be privy to that, but they are, you know, that is not how it's done. And I'm just like, I can handle it. I would be, it would be very interesting to see what they see, you know, as this book moves from, you know, these words and all the kind of things I worry about in terms of text and fiction and prose uh, to what is ultimately a commodity. It's yeah. going to get printed. In it's going to be a physical object. It's a commodity. When you go to Frankfurt or, uh, you know, London, you see that it's, it is the sausage factory. And I've always been amazed by other writers who want to go to... I had to go because it was my day job. I was a techie in publishing and I was a consultant. So I was having to go to the Frankfurt and, and London Book Fair and I would never tell them I was spending my evenings with a dirty, filthy habit of writing short stories. <laughs> um, but you're, you're like, I just... You know, the cow does not want to see the abattoir. You do yeah. not want to know how the sausages are made. And it kind of... Inform, it, it made me a little bit kind of immune to it and like you know I saw like yeah there are thousands of books published yeah. and there's a real indifferentiation and especially with the kind of publishers I was working with it was just content to them it was the content to they were connecting up to you know pipes and stuff like that and it made me really think about that there's something very different from the thing I was working on for you know four or five years to make right and whatever kind of neuroses and kind of the grit and the pearl that I wanted to create and it's, I would advise writers to start to make those separations. So you, you don't, we shouldn't be thinking about this when we're writing. I don't think it's helpful, but maybe again, some, some, but again, that's such a blanket statement. Mm -hmm. The kind of writing I do now, because I think you'd go crazy. You would try to write, you would try to, you're guessing the machine and I just, you're trying to anticipate what the machine is looking for. And I think that's just such a loser's there's so much easier ways to make money. Mm. <laughs> yes, true. there are. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I always, there's, like a, there's a William Burroughs quote, quote that the, the, the boy didn't have enough sense to peddle the ass God gave him. And I just think like, you know, <laughs> there's easier way to make money and I think probably prostitution is one of them. Like, you know, just, uh, just luxuriate in that time with the work and the text and put off that time in which you have to think about the marketplace for as long as possible. Yeah. Because I don't find it enjoyable. I don't find it interesting uh, in terms of the work. Um, I find it necessary, though, because I want to be read. Yeah. Do you have a writer in mind? Uh, do you have a reader in mind, sorry, when you're writing? Is there somebody you're writing for? No, 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 yeah. I definitely, it's, I am, I have, there's, there's a bit of grit that I just need to process. Nice. Um, so it's more like you just, you just want to work the idea that you have. The idea, and also in terms of the kind of context of the form, 
you know, I know I am, you know, I am putting yet another, like, you know, drop in this ocean that we call literature. And um, I think, I, it's, again, coming from science, it's really, I had this uh, professor in uh, UT who was an astronomer, and he was, um, he was talking in terms of, like, he was looking for heavy elements in the suns. So he's looking for gold and silver in distant suns. And he talked about it as, like, I'm just maintaining the field. I'm just making this kind of iterative, you know, extension of the state of knowledge in his field. At some point, somebody's going to come around, like Einstein or whoever, and just explode it and do something completely different and create a new an attack. And I see that in terms of my literature, as I'm not, you know, one of these kind of Joycean characters or Faulkner who just kind of completely attack form and explode it open and, and see what, you know, or, you know, the invention of the short story. The short story at one point was this kind of, you know, innovative approach to, to prose. Um, I'm just moving that, the state of the art iteratively in my little world, in my little space and the things that I'm concerned about and stuff mm. like that. I think, yeah, for me, that feels, my ego screams at that. It's like, I want to be Joyce. But yeah, you're right. It's in 7.0 billion years, the sun will devour the earth. Exactly. Yeah. All you do will be nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait to break it to <laughs> My book will be floating through like the infinite It'll void. be vapor. Yeah. <laughs> it will be less than vapor. <laughs> no, but I, but I do think you're right. I think it's important to sort of, yeah, to not... To not get, to not let yourself become overwhelmed with this idea that you're going to become the next choice and just write. Have you seen what this world does to geniuses? Yeah. I would like read, read yeah, the, like biographies true. of Thelonious Monk or you know, Zora Neale Hurston, who's like a demigod to me in terms of writing. Like the, the this world, yeah, murders geniuses. Doesn't even bother looking at their shoe afterwards. <laughs> like. <laughs> if that I mean all these things I'm saying is what I've come to to kind of make sure I'm still writing yeah I, and that's this adv this is an advice to anyone this is me talking yeah, to myself yeah. So yeah, yeah, this is what I've learned so. yeah. right on that note <laughs> I think we'd better move on to the actual critique of okay. Woman on the Street So today we are going to look at Woman in the Street by an anonymous author, because we never find out the names of the authors. Uh, this story is about, it's about two things really, isn't it? It's about a woman who is proselytizing or talking about the, the, her, her child, shouting it out on a megaphone on a street, and inside there's a woman listening to this woman talk, and she's having sort of a domestic issue with her daughter, in which the daughter and her are having a sort of a generational slash sort of... Um, what's the word? Political. Political yeah, fight with fight. each other. Um, uh, and that's basically the story. It's quite a short story. Yeah, um, super short. We've got a mixture of, I would say, sort of prose and sort of prose poetry, maybe, in mm. some of the parts. Um, let's begin with our positive points. What did we like about the story? Let's start with Christina. Yeah, I mean, I think the strength in this story is the family interaction. So I quite liked some of those characters. Um, I found some of those little asides from the like kind of uh, narrating woman, I suppose. She's not the narrator, but you know what I mean? Third limited kind of um, perspective, quite nice, like her view of the world. I thought that was executed quite well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the thing is that it is really short. 
So there's not like a lot here that we have to work with, but the promise of that was really nice to me. Okay. So that's my kind of big takeaway, I think. Mm-hmm. Jared? So I think, I think the, the story for me was the, um, the woman outside and her speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really liked that she was telling a story uh, in a, while she was kind of proselytizing. And that was to me the kind of the try. And it kind of at first I was like, oh, this is, I mean, I grew up in kind of the evangelical South of the U.S. So like I've heard these phrases over and over and over again. And what got really interesting is some of the, the new use of the phrase. Uh, like, you know, um, I say them build these towers too high. They block out the light. They cost too much, Jesus. They are ugly. They are mean. And that to me made it, it made these kind of general statements, this kind of grammar of kind of the street preacher very specific. And when she does, when the writer does that, um, I, that's when I was most interested and excited about the language and use. And I kind of almost saw, like, I wanted a whole story written in just the, the you know, weird, in just hearing the preachers and kind of the other, mm. the other story kind of dissolve or, or do more with that other story. Mm. Um, because I didn't feel, felt comp- competed with somebody in, in real pain. Mm. Yeah. Um, so and I wanted to know more of the story there. Yeah, my, my positive point would be exactly the same, is that the, the thing I enjoyed the most was the sort of this prophetizing yeah. section. And so I think that maybe brings us on to our first general point, and the point I'd like to make up, I'd bring up, sorry, is why is it, why do you think the author has chosen to tell us the, the narrator's story in terms of the woman in the house who's burning her food and having her fight, rather than just focus on the woman in the street? Yeah, I think that's the million dollar question because um, I think you guys are right, but I kind of interpreted the story as it's about this woman uh, and her reaction to the preacher. So mm. even though I really liked the preaching things, I just thought that that wasn't really what the heart of the story was about. Yeah. I could be wrong. Mm. So I think my general point would be is that I'm actually not sure which what we're actually supposed to take, which part is the emphasis. Is mm. it the family dynamic? I assumed that it was because that's, that's the narrating view, you know, mm-hmm. that's the point of view of the story. Uh, and this woman in the street is really just like an inciting incident in a way yeah, to like yeah. make that family drama happen. Yeah. However, you guys are right. I think that that particular set of um, that little speech that she's giving is the really interesting part. Mm. But I don't know. The balance is slightly off, yeah. perhaps. What do you think, Jared? I mean, I think the balance is off because we spend a lot of time with the family, but I found the family less compelling. There are some phrases and some moments, but largely it just felt kind of, you know, you know, I didn't, I didn't care enough about these, these characters to really kind of get pulled into their domestic drama. And because it felt so generic in terms of kind of generational political divides, I mean, there's some great lines about like mom's a being a communist again. Mom's decided to be a communist mm. again, like <laughs> yeah. socialist era or whatever. There's some good exchanges in there, but largely it just feels kind of very generic where um, there's a specific pain with the woman outside. And when they kind of, they do interact in terms of her kind of musing about how um, there's a, I think my favorite bit was on, on the second page when the narrator is talking about the, the preacher woman because she's seen her before, so she knows what she looks like. And just that, um, you know, her hair, a wonder of domestic engineer, mm-hmm. and that she would never speak to her because a musty mouse like me could only look on and admire. Mm-hmm. And to me, that right there was, that gave me the most insight about this person as a character and somebody that I would care about because there's vulnerability. 
Um, and so in that, to me, that's where the kind of, you know, I started to get, that was where I got interested in uh, the narrator, the, you know, and, uh, you know, and the, the turkey, the turkey burning was a good, was a good detail. Um, but that's, um, yeah, then I can kind of talk about more about turkeys. All right, there, go on if you want to, yeah. In terms of like what, and where I thought like, where the kind of criticism about that bit is, they're just the, the pacing seemed quite off because you talked about in the very beginning is um, I was crying from the smoke. So it's great the why the turkey was burning is because the turkey was too big. So it was burning on the top. And I love that was a very specific detail of what was going wrong. And like I can just I can visualize, you know, getting overcooked and kind of burning and smelling awful. And the rest of it's all still cold and undone. I mean, that's that's a great kind of domestic trauma. Mm. But. And so, and it's smoking so bad that she's cry- her eyes are crying. So that's either hyperbole, uh, which is unfortunate because we don't know that. So we're just trying to we've just on the we're just still trying to triangulate ourselves into the story on the on the first few paragraphs. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what is what is true and false. So if you're if you are deliberately if you're not being accurate, that's a real problem. Um, so in that, so to me, it's like okay, we have an emergency. And then we just kind of settled down for a bit, and then it turns out actually it wasn't an emergency at all. It was it was the, um, the the turkey was taken care of kind of almost off off camera. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And you know the the two the two sides as well are never kind of joined together very satisfying, except for being like she she the woman on the street's almost like yeah just she's not a real character. She's just there for this this family to have. She's just a tool for which they can have their kind of squabble, which they would have had anyways. Yeah. And that's unfortunate to me. It's like, it's too, they're too directly connected and not connected in an interesting way. And actually in short stories, keeping, if you have something like this dual narrative and keeping the space between those and not like spelling it out for the reader of like how these two are connected has some very interesting possibilities. I agree with you. And I actually think that's one of the, I mean, I don't know if you want me to go into this detail yet, but like the last sentences to me are really problematic on that front because they try to tie this in a way that I don't think it's actually tying together. It's selling an insert. It's selling an insight in which the story didn't, didn't actually provide. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really want the two women to necessarily meet either. I liked the kind of parallel, you know, perhaps of the two, but um, instead you've got this slightly like rushed feeling like we need to make uh, not a political point, but like a juxtaposition here and mm. they need to then come into contact with each other. But it's really not clear what the outcome of that would be. Mm. I don't really know what the narrator's sort of intention is other than to just demonstrate that they care maybe, but they've ignored this woman up until this point. So for me, the ending gives not enough at all. It's it's really not enough. Um, we either need that interaction to be very purposeful, like she needs to actually, we need to see that interaction, or we don't go there at all. Mm. And I think it needs to be one or the other. Yeah. No, I, I think I agree. I think that, that for me, the story feels slightly problematic in the sense that I'm, I'm not sure, with that ending, I'm not sure what is being said in the story. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether whether we're talking about hypocrisy, because the word hypocrisy is mentioned, mm. uh, I think more than yeah, yeah she, the, the Stevie calls the mother a, a hypocrite. If we're talking about hypocrisy, is that an interesting topic for a story? And that's uh, that's that's the thing that I think got me was that I was like, I'm not sure whether this is the this should be the crux of the story when actually just telling the woman in the street's story 
would actually be more political and more interesting mm. if, if, if politics is what the author is intending. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's always hard kind of as a kind of, I, I notice myself when I do critiques is I like, how would I write that? And that's mm. not what you need to no. do in a critique. Yeah. It's like, what is the writer intending? And that's, I think that's difficult at this stage to decide. I, I mean, I felt, I kind of wrote that I thought this was more of a vignette than a story. Like this is the beginning yeah. of something. But what are these connections other than, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a relatively uninteresting political debate. Like I said, there's, it's just something I've heard, I can hear on Twitter uh, anytime. And it's not personal. It's not specific to them. It's true. It's quite stereotypical. It's very stereotypical and it's not involving their personal details. I mean, she tries, but it's all kind of very, it's very told rather than shown. And so you're kind of, the, the author is trying to push you towards their opinion mm. or to a particular, their, you know, these, these people feel very kind of one-dimensional and the relationship, the interactions seem one-dimensional. Um, that it just wasn't kind of the, what, what I'm looking for in a kind of short story. I don't want all the answers. Mm. Um, that's where the short story is great. And that, you know, when I was talking about these two narratives and keeping space between, that space is for the reader to then contribute to it. And that's, that's something that, short story when done well is inevitably does mm. is that the reader is, is doing a, a lot of the work um, what, what, what would you do to finesse this story then in terms of like the general point because I think we're sort of in agreement in the fact that this is something something is missing yeah or something hasn't been explored well enough or something I mean yeah. for me as a reader I would say I would say to the author I think the story is the is the preacher mm. and that narrative is more interesting um, and if you're going to get the dual narrative and make that make the people at the kitchen more interesting, they um, they need to be a little a little bit more some, somehow more engaging. So the preacher has the advantage of language in which she's interesting. So she's telling a story through a novel use of language, and so that's why I'm compelled and interested. And there's clearly something terrible has happened, and I that is conveyed well by the writer. And you can tell the writer, you know this. A musty moth like me could only look on and admire. Is my favorite word. Is my favorite sense of this. Describing yourself as a musty mouth. I've never heard that phrase. Uh, so I don't. Good. But to me, it's such a lovely line, and says so much about. That was the first glimpse of the, uh, the grandmother as a, as a, as a real character, something interesting and unique. Um, yeah. Not her WLM and her marching like that. To me, is that's that's again kind of what several people did you know lots of people did but mm. describing yourself as a musty mouth made her very specific yeah i think that's the strongest section um mm. is i guess that's what i was trying to suggest up top but just that bit of her what the impact of the preacher is on her yeah. that to me is the nicest part what we don't get is really her impact on anybody else or like there's just not enough detail there and yeah as you said her um her political views if this is about the politics her political views are so generically attached to mm. a to a very kind of an outline of a woman of a certain kind mm. and i just think that they would be in an actual family you would have a lot more nuanced discussions than this yeah that's um, the amazing thing is that and it wouldn't be the kind of like expositional yeah. you know like remember that time i did yes, this or whatever exactly they all assume that information that's they would know that dialogue good dialogue gets that information in there without kind of doing the kind of stopping the action to do exposition and again like this the room for failure in a short story is near zero i mean you're talking so this is uh, what is this like 1500 2000 words yeah, 1600, 1600 words, 1600 words. Yeah. 
I mean, you have, everyone has, every of them has to be right. And kind of look at the, the opening, like, you know, there is where like, you know, the ball for me would have already been fumbled if I was reading this on the slush pile. Okay. What, what didn't you like about the opening? Um, in that, again, it was kind of, it was just kind of weak and opening. There wasn't anything that kind of pulled me in. It was a pretty standard, it was kind of like street, you know, in London, like a street preacher isn't anything unique, mm. you know, so it's nothing to kind of pull me in. There's no, there's no interesting use of language or a sentence that goes, hey, what does that mean? Nothing to kind of little draw me in. It comes later. Mm. I was in the kitchen cremating everyone's lunch. Mm. Yes. You know, that's a nice sentence. <laughs> that's a yeah, lovely, because it gives sentence. me, it gives me full of the narrator's voice, right? Yeah. And then there's another sentence. And then like the problem with lunch was that the oven was too small. Mm. The top of the turkey kept catching on the grill. There's no fireworks. There's no kind of, you know, florid language. There's no kind of long, you know, Latin-based verbiage there. These are very straightforward sentences. There's no lyricism, but they're great, great, great sentences. Yeah. Kind of, um, there's this great article. Uh, Lydia Davis goes through one of her, her short stories because, you know, she writes these like really, really short stories. Yeah. And the discussion around it was really great about her talking about one time she used the word crept to refer to a fly. And she just thought that was kind of like vulgar and overwritten. <laughs> the fly walks on the windowsill. And I think that's the level in which you need to think about your use of language. You know, that crept was such a just, you know, just vulgar use of language for Lydia Davis. When her sentences, her, her stories are 30 words, right? Yeah. So that's the level I think you still have to think about in terms. And, yeah. and I think the story is at its best when it's not trying to show off. And it's mm. just really giving these great details. Yeah. And there's times where I think they try to show off. Um, in terms of like, I think, uh, oh yeah, uh, as Is the, it page five, yeah, page five, as the uh, the song, dance of the sugar plum fairy tiptoed between our ears. That's too much. It's too too much. Like it doesn't tiptoe in your ears at all. It's just a song. Like bring it down. Like use those fireworks for when there's fire. You know, really kind of. That's the nice thing is if you have this lovely kind of you know, staid, simple, you know, um, Anglo-Saxon based language that gives you room to kind of move up in register. If you're doing this just when a song is playing, you don't have much wiggle room in terms of, of register. And so you got to really think about that in terms, you know, for me as a, as a reader, um, I would, I'm on the Lydia Davis camp. I think tiptoeing is just over the top. Too much. Yeah. I mean, when, when I kind of, I'm sure you, when, when we were working with the, uh, the London Writers Award, mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm, your things, I wrote OTT because I'm very, <laughs> very nervous around it in short stories because you have to really buy that use of kind of, of language. Yeah. That's a really interesting point then. So you're sort of saying that you've got to, it's okay to be not flat, but just to be simple. So that you then can to have clear. to be clear right. and simple, so that mm -hmm. then you can then explode later with some. If, yeah, but you just like yeah you just, yeah keep your powder dry, mm. and it's also it has to be what you're talking about. Does you talk? Does what you're talking about require this kind of language? Do you mm. need to step it up to a register? Yeah. Like if you're if you're kind of going all out for just describing what's playing on the radio, what are you gonna do when you know the kid dies or yeah. you know whatever? Yeah, you know, you're so. right. I know this pain very well. Yeah, <laughs> it's very very well. I think you especially write about the opening. Actually, like thinking about it now, I uh, I mean, if this is a London 
family like I don't know what the draw is so I liked some of the sentences that you picked out but you're right that there's a there's something that feels a bit um it's so I feel like the explosion should happen up here in a way like I need something that's gonna capture as to why she's particularly interested in this woman because I mean living in London if I seen or heard one preacher I've heard them all I've mm. seen people doing all sorts of things in the streets and I generally ignore them so I just want to know what her particular well there's something that, there's something of admiration about her right and there about is. her like yeah. outfit yeah but see instead the thing is that we've got we've kind of got bogged down in the, like this is the situation mm. she's talking about Jesus my daughter is over we just don't I don't think we need any of mm. that up there mm. um, instead we just need a I don't know one decisive clear point towards uh, to me it really feels like the author's got is, is it's a dog with a ginormous stick like the ginormous <laughs> stick is the woman in the street, street with yeah. her amazing language which i wouldn't change any of that the yeah. sort of poetic way she's speaking but then the dog doesn't know what to do the author doesn't know what mm. to do with that yeah. like they've created this beautiful piece of prose and we've all been there I mean, and they don't know what to do around the, it this is this is a very typical writer moment you mm. know you have this thing and there's something there and the writing is figuring out what it is. So it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of, that is what the first draft is. It's like, there's something here, I don't know what it is. And often you don't know what the story is and you have to have somebody goes like, I think this is the story and you agree or disagree. And I think we've, we've done that. We've all said, you know, we have our views of what the story is. And so it's, you know, hopefully there's a light bulb for, them, for the, the author and they will be, oh, this is what I was trying to get at and they're not missing that. Yeah. They're, they're missing this and so I need to build this up or bring this down because the woman does disappear um, yeah. Yeah. And which I, I kind of re I, as a reader resented yeah. and I wanted to see much more kind of back and forth and kind of playing interacting yeah I feel cheated because we get one two and then we don't get the rule of third <laughs> section oh, with the, the nice you're waiting for her to come back and to, and yeah. to speak again for me oh, to what, yeah. what why is she there at all so if you're yeah. not gonna you know it's Use the, it's the Chekhov's gun yeah. So yeah, exactly it, her Chekhov's gun is a street preacher so what is the street preacher doing and it's got to do more than yeah just I, I, I really don't like kind of especially in a short story introducing characters just as a foil for the actual story you're yeah. doing just give me the story and get rid of this kind of yeah, don't use people like that mm. in life or in, in short yeah. fiction. No, I very much um, agree. Give them full, give them flesh. Yeah. I, I'm writing, trying to write my second novel at the moment, and I had a whole elaborate story based on relatives of mine with mental illness and stuff like this, and they were going to interact with each other, and there's going to be a long journey of them together. And I sort of told this to my partner, who's sort of related to this person, and she was just like, mm, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't use him or them in that, that way. way. Yeah. Because yeah. what... what 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 are you what is the story about then? Yeah, yeah. So I just strip the story right back just to like the very simplest thing, and I'm having a ball writing it because mm. I don't I'm not burdened by this sense of like duty to sort of write a story that I don't really have the capacity to write at the moment. Mm. I think, mm. and and so that was yeah that was like a big learning curve for me. Why um, yeah? Mm. I'd say why I I went with the agent that I inevitably got was because uh, when we met up he had feedback and he said the story is about this relationship and everything else is ex extraneous basically. Yeah. So I kind of, I meander away from that as it was kind of, you know, inevitable in 80,000 words, but the heart line, as I call it, is he kind of unpicked the heart line. Mm. And I was again thrashing about trying to find that heart line, but when he identified it, 
it collapsed the story. And I was just kind of glad to see like 10,000 words and whole characters that I had invested, you know, emotionally into mm -hmm. uh, just disappear. Mm -hmm. And I realized when he did that and I looked at it and I was like, okay, this one character actually he's has these functions. He has these different functions. This can be folded into the main characters. And I loved that kind of short story writer. And he loved this kind of stripping down of a narrative. And, you know, when I read stories with huge kind of ensemble casts, I'm always kind of dubious of like, is this necessary? Like, um, Stephen King's It's a great example. Like, oh man, we gotta go through everybody. And they, <laughs> and they did it in the movie as well. And you're like, that's why this movie is so interminable because mm. you did exactly what King wrote. You shouldn't have done that. You should have just squeezed what it back Kubrick out. did. Yeah. Just, just distill, distill it down it. to mm. what it's actually about rather than his kind of. How do we know when a character is superfluous? How do we, is there a way to know when that is happening? Get rid of them and see what happens. Yeah, okay. yeah that's get, and that's what happened. I was like, you know, if you, yeah, my agent, uh, a guy named Will Francis, he was really, he was really good. It was like, what is, what is this character doing here? Mm. Um, get rid of him. And I'm like, he's really funny. He's got some really good stuff. <laughs> like, he's great, and he's kind of like this surrogate father figure. And I'm kind of talking about fathers and sons and blah blah blah. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I can totally get rid of them and I can fold them in. And then some Somewhere of the else. some of the funny bits yeah. <laughs> I can give to other characters to build them up as characters and I can strip it down. And his his function to the narrative, uh, the narrative was still was getting the work done, mm. uh, but with one character left. And to me, that's just so satisfying. I'm very embarrassed that my book is 80,000 words. <laughs> I was really trying to get it down. Shorter. And I can't. It's, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I'm <laughs> still working on it. it. Yeah. So then, to kind of go back to the story for a second, mm -hmm. do you think that the whole family is superfluous? Like, I what's your view so. on the family well, characters? They, I think they need to do more work, is what I would say. Mm. I think they need to be more... There's too many of them as well. There are quite a lot of them. I mean, and the dudes just don't really do anything. I don't. I mean, that seems purposeful. Like, the men of the house uh, yeah, that's, just kind of that's don't... That's definitely its own cliche now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so maybe that's deliberate, but yeah. they don't actually It was very interesting. On page three, one of them is just called My Second Husband. <laughs> yes. which, I thought was, which I thought was funny, but then I was like... Is this a funny story? But that's interesting. So if that's something that kind of needs to be built up, because I just, again, like I, for me, it was like if the characters on are, are using kind of page time, there needs to be something about them that are, is personal and immediate. And, and I didn't get that. Yeah, it's a lot of characters. Yeah. But uh, that isn't necessarily bad, just as long as people are doing work and they're kind of differentiated. Because it is kind of a battle between the, the mother and daughter. Mm. Um, through I, the grandchild. Maybe it'd be good to, for the author to rewrite just with the mother and daughter. Just yeah, have them without everything else. Without everything else. Just to see what happens. Get rid of everybody else. Make it... But, but think of them as real people. Yeah. And, and think about the specific things they are. Like what in her life made her a musty mouth moth. Because mm. um, some of the things undercut that. The fact that she was you know, politically active and on marches. So why does she think she's a musty moth? And you really like... Um, What's the author of uh, Sweet Francaise? I can't remember her name. But um, apparently she wrote hundreds to 200,000 words of just like character sketches before she wow. wrote you know, the Sweet Francaise about these characters. And that's an, that to me is an interesting approach. I mean, I live with these characters for a very long time. And so much so, I, you know, I, when I write, I kind of become a method writer. I kind of mm -hmm. act like some of these people. I'm definitely pulling from my own psyche. Mm -hmm. And kind of imbuing them um, 
it's an interesting process. But I think treat them, don't treat them like, don't treat them like, uh, you know, mechanisms for plot or anything. Treat them as real people um, and all their damage and beauty and see what happens there. And I think you'll, you'll have a better story. My, yeah, that's such a good point, particularly theory. with the daughter. Yeah. Um, she does feel like a mechanism. Yeah. I feel for her, though. I feel for her because she does have this like hypocrite, self-righteous, <laughs> self-pitying mom. Mom. So kind of Yeah, like, but she is you know. just really, that's her only function. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. she kind of does is, is serve that opposition. I think she had a couple zingers in there. She had, she had the zingers. zinger about the kind of mom being a communist again. Yeah, that was good. I so liked she that. gets some good lines. She gets one or two. But yeah, she does need a bit more flesh. Yeah. Right. Any more general points that are not that are not about what we discussed already? And if not, we'll move on to pedantic line edits. I think again, I want to just come back to pace. Is something that I thought that you know we had a fire so bad that people are crying from smoke, mm. and then it kind of disappears for a lot of the story, and then it turns out to be not a big issue in the first place. So keep that in mind. Of like you've you've created something. So think about the length of your sentences to keep that pace up. If there really really is an emergency. Um, and you have to manage that. That's important. Again, for a kind of short story in the kind of space, I think pacing is all that much more vital, and you got to think about when to slow it down and speed it up. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a key kind of thing I think about in terms of writing. Um, okay. Right. Let's go on to. Do you have any more points? No. No. Done. Let's go on to line edits. So this is like could be grammar, could be I don't like this word. You mentioned the earlier on with the tiptoed. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anything that we just we would just be like, what's going on? Or well, I mean, mm. I would literally cut everything in the first paragraph and start at the problem with lunch. I I like That's that too. That's the line I mm. would start with. Yeah. I would cut everything before that, to be honest. I think the problem with lunch is was the oven is too, too small. small. It's great. It's really yeah, I like that line. as an opening, and I kind of don't need like the introduction of all the other stuff. Yeah. Um, you could even start the story with just the woman in the street saying, "Listen." That's also yeah, quite good, but could, yeah. but, you, in, it but if if it yeah. is indeed about this other person, if indeed this narrating voice is what the story is about, then it should start with her, but it should start somewhere else mm. with that line. I think. And it might be that first paragraph can be folded into later in the story, so we can have this information about being in front of the best Turkish market. But as an opening, it's a pretty, it's just a pretty kind of, it's just, it's kind of just you know it's operational mm. you know it's putting people in space uh, so it doesn't really kind of for a first paragraph it's not doing enough because if you think i always think about it in terms of like people are impatient now as readers mm. they have a thousand distractions how do you just like snap your fingers to get them to pay attention mm. and again it doesn't have to be like a full-on sentence you know like some full of fireworks a sentence like i was in the kitchen cremating everybody's lunch is a good opening you know, that's a good sentence. It doesn't have to be, you know, the kind of Margaret Atwood, you know, stone mattress opening, which is like one of the killer lines, you know. Mm. Um, but, okay. uh, yeah. Um, so just in terms of like, so again, I'm quite obsessed with kind of concision. And on page four, talking about um, lovable, lovable Rose sucked her fist, which was fleshy and pump and yet so perilously small. Don't you do what I told her. Don't you grow up and individualize yourself. Stay babyish. Stay simple and safe. Um, I would have, to me, I was like, I, I would have just really sharpened that and cut that down to Rose sucked her fist, which was fleshy and plump. Don't you do what I told her. Don't you grow up. Stay babyish. 
And that's it. And yeah, that's you don't it. need any of those. Yeah, I didn't even true. read the rest of it. Mm. Uh, again, like, stay babyish was a lovely phrase. Mm. Lovable Rose, we know she's lovable. She's, all babies are lovable. lovable. Cut it out. So fleshy and plump and yet so perilously small. I didn't quite know what that, like, what you're really kind of getting at because... Like she's fragile, but yeah, but this is a stereotype of but babies. She's a baby, so oh my God, I've seen them. Like <laughs> they are little tanks. Like, <laughs> so they're quite robust. Um, so I don't know. So to me, I was like, it's fine if you want to kind of accentuate her risk, but do it. Show don't tell. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me she. You know, give me something about it. Like you know, did she ha- was she just recovering from like a lung infection? Yeah. Did she have you know where the um, you know, the kind of feeding tube at her nose, which yeah. you see with newborns. Give me something that that makes me think about her, mm. why this um, narrator is thinking about peril. Yeah, and, uh, for a child. Any other line edits? Yeah, I didn't love some of the dialogue, as we've mentioned, just well, in the sense of like, um, so for instance, hooray, here's to another day signifying society's ills. Signifying just stood out to me in that sentence in a weird way. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. What page is that? Sorry. Oh, it's on page bottom of page five. Oh yeah, that's not. So Stevie, Stevie sat Rose on her hip. That's not entirely fair. She said, "I would imagine she doesn't wake up and on a dark, freezing morning and think to herself, hurrah, here's to another day, signifying society's ills." I think as well. I think mm. I, I think I just feel for this late, the street creature because he's. These people are giving her like no agency whatsoever. They're defining right. her, and the author is not giving her a rebuttal mm. in any way. Of course, I don't want her to interact with the family. I'm not interested in that. They're in completely two different spaces. But the fact is, she does disappear from the narrative. Mm. And I would say even before that, we have the um, the family disappears, and there's a real imbalance in that regard. Is that we kind of compl- you know it goes into the kind of the manic street preacher verbiage and then I don't get to hear what the narrator is thinking while she's listening to this so there's no one we're not simultaneously holding all the characters in in mind because of the, because of the prose isn't focusing on them mm. and kind of I think working on that balance would be really useful and it and it's you know it's an interesting effect of like how can the speech that's coming in through the window su- support or rebut the opinions that these these people have about her yeah. they don't know anything they haven't stopped to talk to her because um, it's interesting she says like but she wasn't so the narrator actually blames the, tr- the preacher she was intimidating it's like mm. no you are intimidated by her yeah. so like I, I've, I've, as we kind of go through this I'm getting even more kind of uh, a robust defense to the street preacher is like yeah. give her her voice mm-hmm. and you know I'd rather, I'd, I want to spend time you know in front of the um, best Turkish market mm-hmm. yes. and not in the smoky turkey burnt apartment mm. so. yeah it might be interesting to literally have the the preach the preacher like interjecting into what they're saying not actually responding to what they're saying but just interjecting interjecting yeah I think that in. could work really well I just, as a warning, I've done that in a short story and I still work. haven't sold that damn thing. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair it didn't enough. work? I loved it as an effect. But I don't know. I think I, I know it's that, that short story has other problems. Okay. Um, but I think, it's a, it, I think it's, a, it's a neat trick. I do like it. And when it works, it's great. Like, there's a movie, Ghost Dog, uh, where there's a guy who only speaks French, there's a guy who only speaks English, and they're communicating. And it's quite cute. It's quite a nice little effect. It's mm-hmm. done in a very kind of cute, very, you know, um, 
uh, the kind of American indie film mm. style in it. And it was that's definitely what I was thinking about when I kind of did it in, in my short story. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I think it's 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 if if as a writing exercise, it's kind of worth trying. Yeah, I think it's fun. I think it might be the only way. Well, it's one of the only ways I can think of right now in terms of solving this, just because we don't get enough of the preacher mm. and we don't get any resolution to the preacher. And I don't think there necessarily is one. It's just that you can't give us this little. So mm. it could be a, a way to. Yeah. Again, it's a, it's a, the, the authors shot themselves in the foot a little bit because the best bit of the story is the thing that they're going to have to tackle with the most. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the answer is, is just to turn it into a poem. <laughs> just get rid of all the just other texts. Just put the preaching. Just still, yeah. That could still be a it's short beautiful. story. It's beautiful. I think it's great. A story. Yeah. I think that is a poem, that those two lines, because you get, because what I love about the, the thing about the most is, is that you get this sense that she's just a preacher preaching about God. And you're like, I've heard that all before. I don't need to hear it. But then you suddenly realize there's a much deeper story. And the reason she's doing this is because of her son that's been, yeah. has it been taken away? I think it's been taken away, right? Yeah. Or, you know, and there's a desperately sad story in there that she, you get through the, Proselytizing, I think that's yeah. that's really clever. So maybe it should just become just that, just the poem. I don't know. I think that's a bit harsh. Yeah. I think Who that's knows? a bit harsh. Or I think there is room for the other story, but it just needs to. They, they need to complement each other somehow. And what they don't the author should be you know, when we kind of we, it's not the it's not the problem. What is it? It's not the kind of prognosis. It's the diagnosis. Mm. So we as readers are kind of looking at something. There's something that we're hinting about. What the solution is, is completely up to the author. Yeah. Mm. And so they should not do anything we tell them to do, but also just think like, ah, oh, this person's reacting this way. Mm. That's not what I wanted. So how do I make sure they don't do that? I think yeah. that's, that's the way you should take, that's the way I try to take feedback. I've never, rarely, if ever, anyone's kind of what you should do has been the answer. Because mm. often they'll be like, oh, on page five, I felt this. And that's because the problem is over on page two. And, you know, they just, that's just when they were aware of it. So the spell was broken. They are now thinking about the fault of the writing rather than just being absorbed and the world disappears. This is why this is my religion is because the world disappears and I get to experience, you know, an infinite amount of other people's experiences that I'll never have access to. And so when that spell is broken, I resent the author greatly, which is, I think, a large <laughs> reader. Um, but it's how I feel in my own writing. So. so I think that seems like a good place to finish. Uh, for the listener, please go to, to mirronline.org slash authornotpresent. Find this episode. It will be called Authornotpresent Woman in the Street. And you can download the uh, file, Woman in the Street, and you can read it on yourself. And you can send us that file with your critique and we can pass it on to the author so they can have a much greater idea of what other people think of their writing. Um, you can also email us that at authornotpresent at gmail.com gmail and you can also send us your own work to be critiqued. You see, it's not such a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a positive yeah. thing. Uh, and I highly encourage everyone to do it. But thank you, Jared and Christina, for doing this critique. I think it was very, very useful. It was fun. Thank yeah. you. Right. It's time to move on to promo and other stuff. Okay, to end the podcast, as we always do, we like to talk about, first off, what books we're reading at the moment, 
And if there's a special guest, we're going to ask them what book they would recommend and any promo stuff that we have to go through. Louise is usually here to promote her book, but yeah, she's not we've here. we lost our main promoter. <laughs> we lost our main promoter. <laughs> so, uh, let's start with Jared. What are you reading at the moment? I'm reading a lot of Percival Everett um, because I'm interviewing him next week or whenever this goes out, that'll be very confusing. <laughs> So I'll um, put a link to it. So I've read I've read him before. I'm a huge fan. He's but um, he's written a lot of books, so twenty plus books. So I feel like I feel duty bound to continue to read. And uh, he's just and I'm rereading some things that I'd read before. And I just he's to me it's a it's a crime that he isn't kind of better known in in the UK. But uh, there are he's an American author. Isn't he? He's an American author. Um, yeah, again, very prolific. Um, there is a book out with Influx Press, which is a, is a London-based press. Um, I am not Sidney Poitier, uh, which is an incredible introduction. Um, it's about a guy whose name is not Sidney Poitier. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he looks exactly like Sidney Poitier. Amazing. And the narrative of his life seems to follow the plot lines of the Poitier canon. So okay. Wow. That's very cool. It's great. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, so that's that's I'm reading a lot of that and enjoying it and reminding me uh, what you can do with form um, is near limitless. So I think with a special guest, we're always going to ask, what would you always recommend people read? Doesn't matter be your favorite book. Uh, if there's a book that you'd be like, so everyone should read this. Well, I mean, it's going to be kind of obvious in my case. So like Moby Dick is my book of Psalms. Okay. When I need to return and find, like, if I need to divination or just kind of solace, I can both crack open and read a chapter of Moby Dick. But that's kind of obvious if you if you know me. Um, but in terms of like short story, um, a couple years ago there was a collection. It was a multi-author collection called Sex and Death. I think it was published by Faber, and that is a great kind of master class of the best of contemporary short fiction um, globally. I think it's predominantly British and American writers, but I think there's other countries represented as well. Very cool. Sex and death. Christina, what are you reading at the moment? Um, so I actually am still reading The Doll's Alphabet by Camilla okay. Gordova, but because I don't know if this is like blasphemy, but when I read, <laughs> sometimes when I read short story collections, I don't read them the whole way through. I just read a bunch and then I stop and then I read a bunch more. I don't know. Um, so I am also reading Circe by Madeline Miller, which is super hashtag not my thing. Like as a, as a kind of book, really, really not my thing. Um, I don't do, you know, Greek God stuff. That's not really my jam. Uh, however, she is obviously a masterful character creator. Um, she has made deeply unlikable people likable and I am super invested to see how they fuck up their lives. Um, so yeah, that's, that seems to be a huge achievement because I would literally, this is really not my kind of reading, mm. um, generally speaking. I love books but like that where you're like, I know, this is not I'm, my I'm thing. really like, pleasantly oh, surprised and I'm literally only reading it because so many people were like, the character you have to read, mm. like this is a first person kind of character thing that you will, that will convince you and I am being convinced. So very cool. I, I think as a that. writer, you should read as promiscuously Absolutely. as possible I agree. steal which is, from everywhere. Yeah. So. Which is why I'm doing it. <laughs> so... I'm currently reading uh, This Lovely City by Louise Hare. <laughs> I actually read it many times before, but I am that is what I'm reading at the moment. And you should all go buy it, because it's a fantastic <laughs> it's book. It's out now. But it's out now. It's been out for a couple of weeks now, I think. Mm -hmm. But definitely go buy that. Um, and Louise will be back with us next time. Uh, do we have anything to promote? 
Do you have anything you'd like to promote? Uh, just start being kind on Twitter more. <laughs> <laughs> just a general message yeah, to the universe. General, yeah. Could we just cut the crap? When you're typing um, and it seems a bit assy, delete it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's what it. we're promoting. Yeah. But your book will be coming out... Uh, January January 2020 okay so we'll I, I have, have to, to finish writing it okay so. we'll have yeah. you back on again around but it'll be time. amazing okay I'm sure it will be uh, I've got nothing really to promote I'm no, about to embark on a different journey in my life so oh yeah promote being a dad promote being a dad so I'm going to be a dad I, I highly recommend it yeah. so Aww. that's that's all I that's, that's exciting that's all I'm focusing on at the moment I think and that's a lot I have a, I have a first draft to edit yes that's what I'm promoting today okay. <laughs> is so editing any agents listening <laughs> yeah hello i've got a really uh <laughs> it's a really killer book. thriller for you it's not really a thriller it's sort of a thriller that's the, i don't know that's the piss squid one yeah <laughs> that, okay you can't just throw that <laughs> in there <laughs> now everyone's curious why is there a piss squid in this book yeah that's a yeah <laughs> for, for when you invite me back story <laughs> <laughs> for another day okay right well thank you very much for coming to do this with us i had a good time i think i learned a lot as well yeah Thanks for having me. Thank you.